May we all rise and stand for the reading of God's word, which comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 35. Luke 1, 26 to 35. This is God's word. Please give it your careful attention. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. When Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, KSPC. Can you say Merry Christmas to the people next to you? We're getting there. We're opening the can early every day, but <laughs> uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, would you have mercy upon me as I share your word? Uh, may it be true, clear, and concise. Uh, do not let me add human agendas or words to this, but may your word pour forth into relevance and power in our lives. May Christmas be more valuable and more joyful than ever because of what we have seen in the text, the beauty and mystery of our Savior that causes people like us to rejoice. So Father, may there be great joy amongst your congregation today. Uh, may we encounter the face of Jesus. We pray this in that name. Amen. How should we receive Jesus how should we? Um, uh, side note, I was talking to Pastor Daniel uh, in his office and just talking, and both of us had very similar concerns. Uh, both of us were thinking about, uh, worried about not offering enough to our congregation, uh, especially this. Uh, all of it, We've been preaching on the gospel day in and day out. It's always about Jesus, always about the cross, always about what the gospel accomplishes, and We've been saying to each other, I mean, does our congregation need more? Like, you know, how to pray, like five steps to finding peace, things like that. And apparently in Pastor Daniel's congregation, uh, whenever he preaches at the end of the sermon, uh, uh, there's like a few kids saying, Jesus again? <laughs> the gospel again? And they're like sick and tired of it. And Pastor Daniel's like, I succeeded. It worked. Like, we wanted to do that. But then we're asking, is this enough? And I believe it's enough. Uh, the gospel really is enough. What Jesus did really is enough. And today I'm trying to enrich the content by not changing the content, but our posture of receiving it. Today's sermon is titled, The Posture of Christmas. How do you receive it? Um, you know, this is a tough message. Today's passage is tough to preach on, especially in a culture of my body, my choice. Uh, there was a, a critic of Christianity who called me late at night, and he basically was yelling, you know, God, in effect, raped Mary because she might not have wanted that baby. And there's an easy way to respond to that. I mean, if you look at verse 38, which we didn't read today, uh, Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me have this child that you are promising. And so it's enough to say there was consent, 
uh, and get over with it. Uh, but what we're pointing to is more of an aspect of posturing, of how we think of and treat God and Jesus, and how we think of the gospel leads to millions of different kinds of applications. The richness is how you receive the same content. So how do we receive it? Uh, first of all, like how dare God, right? That's one way that the world thinks of it. But on the other hand, uh, this is what's happening in the Catholic Church. They read, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. And they take that word, they parse it, they, they think of it in different ways, and they call it the fiat. Uh, the fiat is another word for sovereign decree. Where do they get that from? The first fiat was God saying, let there be light. And so what the Catholic Church is doing is they're almost deifying Mary by saying she agreed to God's plan of salvation. That's why Jesus came in the first place, because she consented. And so later on, through different popes, you have Mary's status elevated from, uh, from a, what I'm going to say, a teenage girl from Nazarene, from Galilee, all the way to what they call queen of the universe, ruler of the universe, queen of the universe, co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix with Christ. And human beings are so, they want to contribute something to God. Like we want to be equal to him, or we want to have a say in it. We want not just to be receivers and passive subjects. We want to be active with him. And so we lift ourselves. And this leads to all sorts of attitudes. How you think of yourself and how highly you think of Jesus leads to postures like this. Peter looking down on Jesus saying, how dare you carry the cross and die? You are supposed to be the Messiah. Posture number one. Posture number two. I have to study, just, just you know, stay out of my life until I finish this exam. That's another posture we have. Uh, another posture. Uh, and this isn't worship. This is like a, a driver. <laughs> What's up? I mean, how can you do this to me, God? How can you treat me like this? I've given you a tithe, and I thought you'd give me something better. And it's our reaction, our posture towards God. My favorite posture ever. Like, ignore you for 10 years. <laughs> Run away. You chase after me, but I'm going to continue living my life until the day I become weak and I need you, and then I'll, I'll, I'll treat you like a genie in the lamp. So many postures, so many ways to think of Christ, and so many ways that we think of ourselves that need to be recalibrated and fixed. And today's text gives us a wonderful way to do that. Let's start with our posture. Who are we? Verse 26, it says, In the six months, the angel Gabriel, the bearer of good news, was sent from God. God sent him. Where? To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It's like, you know, we talked about yesterday, someone uh, visited Killeen. Like, Killeen in Texas is a really rural, drowsy area. Like, no, nothing really happens there. <laughs> I'm going through my list of friends right now. There actually is a friend from Killeen. <laughs> Please don't take offense. But basically... God and his messenger is being sent to a sleepy town in the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And there were pro like proverbs around that area already saying, what good can come from Nazareth? There's nothing good there. 
And so, uh, it's coming to a very lowly, sleepy place. 27, it says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, uh, uh, they are saying that Mary was probably 14 to 16 when she had Jesus. So this is basically a teenager betrothed to Joseph, and this this wasn't a full-on marriage yet. It was something between engagement and marriage. It was very binding. And you could only uh, get divorced to get out of a betrothal. Uh, So there is a teenage girl in Nazareth in Galilee betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the only thing going in this narrative that makes sense is that somehow David is mentioned. And remember, this is a lineage, this is a covenant that is uh, characterized by grace towards David even when he killed uh, Uriah and took Bathsheba, even, even when he was uh, you know, unfaithfully taking a census of Israel and God still had mercy on him. There was a one-directional grace upon that. And that's the only reason that this angel would come to this sleepy town to a teenager. Like, I remember when I was 14 to 16, I don't think I had any important thought back then. Like, I didn't know what life was about. I didn't know what I was doing. I barely accepted Christ at that age. And so, whatever special is going on here is not Mary. She is not queen of the universe. It is the covenant of grace through David that is the reason why the angel is coming here. And look, this, this narrative further supports it. And when he came to her, Gabriel said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored one. Uh, if you look at the verse in verse 29, the same word, you have found favor with God. That word in Greek is charis. A lot of our children, the next generation, their, their name is charis because it's grace. It means grace of God. It is a free gift. So in other words, why did this angel come to a sleepy town in Nazareth and then meet a teenage girl who's betrothed to Joseph, a line of David, because of Grace. And so, verse 29, the reaction is very natural. She wasn't being queenly. She wasn't being, you know, co-redemptrix with Jesus when she's saying, uh, look, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why would she be favored? Why would she hear the tremendous words, the Lord is with you? If you think of the Greco-Roman period of when Mary is living, there were four uh, religious sects that tried to uh, gain favor with God, and they claimed that God was with them. For example, you have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you have the Essenes, and you have the Zealots. The Pharisees were the common popular people who kept the law, and the people really highly favored them. And then you have the Sadducees, the best connected, best networked, very rich uh, people centered in Jerusalem who claimed that they had God with them. And then you had the Essenes who were basically, they didn't want to mix with society. So they created their own uh, communities and they lived strictly and morally the laws of God, very moralistic. And then you have the Zealots who were killing Romans to try to fulfill the kingdom of God in a political way. Actually, The Zealots had just started working in this area about a few hundred years ago, and they were actually centered in Galilee. The creator of the Zealot movement was in Galilee. 
And so Mary's probably thinking about her circumstances. There is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there are the Essenes, there are the Zealots. Why grace to me? Why favor with me? Why is the Lord with me? And even the start, highly applicable for us today. Your popularity, like the Pharisees, your power and your connections and your networking, like the Sadducees, your moralism and your legalism, like the Essenes, and your violence and your passion and your efforts to strengthen and better your life, like the Zealots, that isn't what saves you. God's grace upon a favored person, leading to a Messiah. That is what saves you today. You've got to be thinking, why is Christmas, why is the gospel so special? Because all of you are still trying to, even if you say you know the gospel, still trying to network your way into salvation still trying to build up fame and fortune for yourself, still trying to create a perfect club, still trying to belong to the right group of people, still trying to be more, more moral than the people around you, still trying to violently through, you know, whatever, a movement or social justice or through lobbying, you're trying to get your own way to fulfill your kingdom. That is not how God's kingdom works. He came upon us who didn't deserve it in a sleepy little corner of our lives. And that is the grace of God. So what posture am I thinking of? Number one, anything to help you appreciate the gospel, our posture should be this. A 14-year-old teenage girl in Nazarene. In Nazarene. Nothing to offer. And if you don't find yourself like this every time you read the word, it offers nothing to you. You're always angry about how God didn't give you this, why the pastor's saying this, why your community doesn't meet your standards. You're always bitter because you don't know that you are, oh, nobody takes this out of context, you are a teenage girl in Nazareth. That God had nothing to do except sheer grace. And so may you have this first posture, posturing for Christmas, Lower yourself. Amen? As you lower yourself, beauty, power comes. Let's listen to this. Our hope is not in the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Zealots or the Essenes. Our hope is in who Gabriel promises to this girl. Who is this? Repeat after me. Jesus is human. God, King, Eternal, Holy. This is what saves us. This is what saves us. And we'll go through this verse by verse. You will see the beauty of the one given to you in your lowly estate. That's the posture for Christmas. And so let's look at who Jesus is. Number one, a virgin, you will give birth. You will conceive in your womb, even though you're a virgin, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why a virgin? Because, number one, why human? Why through a girl? Why, why all this anthropology? Because God promised in chapter 3 of Genesis 
like the offspring of the woman, will crush the head of the snake. An ancient prophecy God had in mind and already pre-designated this girl in Nazareth to carry out that prophecy by giving birth to the Messiah. Also another one, Isaiah talks about the virgin birth. You will know that God is amongst you, Emmanuel, when a virgin gives birth. And so Jesus had to come in the flesh, in human form, to be amongst us according to prophecy. And what does this rich aspect of Jesus' humanity do to our lives where I'm still able to say the gospel is enough? Jesus came as a human. That means he knows you. He hurts like you. He has nerves, nervous systems like you. That's why the nail hurt him. He jumped into suffering. Why do you think you're alone? Why do you think that God doesn't understand you? Like the Roman gods of that period, they were busy playing political games on Mount Olympus. God came in the form of a baby in the flesh, and he didn't leave us alone. He didn't. That's why the gospel is enough. You need to carry out the riches of this. He knows you. Why do you feel like and live like that God doesn't care? As if he's far away. He loves you. Amen? He's close. He jumped into human suffering. No other God did that. Eh, like, why is that, why is that not as mysterious as an enchanting as it should be? God jumped into our story. Number two, he shall be called the Son of the Most High. The Most High. He is God. Jesus is fully human and yet perfectly God. Why? Because only God could kill our sin once and for all and overcome sin and death and the power of sin upon our lives and apply it to all of us through righteousness if we believe. That's the only way he could still be the Savior. Human and yet God. What does that mean? Again, this has other implications. Some of you think of Jesus as your homeboy. Like, you got my corner when I need you, but when, it, when you're not relevant, let me live my life. He is God. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows what you have to live like. He knows that you have to repent. He commands you to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Why do you live as if God is not binding upon your life? Here's another thing. Here's another thing. God is God and he is sovereign. Amen. What does that do to you? Too many of you have in the past years placed your hope in Washington, D.C. and in the legislation and the people that we vote into power. And if they do wrong, you feel like, woe is America. Woe is South Korea because we didn't choose the right person. But God is sovereign. Like our hope is not in D.C. or the legislation. Our hope is in God who has always been in control of the nations and the seasons and the people, every people group. He's sovereign. And that Jesus has given to us. So you don't have to be like the zealots and kill Roman people and saying, you need to bring the kingdom of God. No, God came and he's perfectly in control. So he knows you and he suffers with you, but he's in control. And the Lord God will give to him what? The throne of his father, David. 
It's really interesting here. Another person asked me, you know, how is Jesus the son of David if he was born through Mary and, and Joseph is the one from David's line? Here's the thing. Uh, I am a Canadian. I'm also Korean. And inside, I'm American. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I, I, I forgot <laughs> where home is, actually. <laughs> and that makes sense. Citizenship, uh, territorial laws, uh, treaties, uh, cultural identity, uh, biological and uh, ethnic identity. And here we have Jesus, really the Son of God, reality, but ontologically he is the Son of God, and yet in the flesh prophesied to be of the woman and legally an heir of the king of David. How else would you get a savior? only way. So Jesus has all these characteristics in him. No other person could match the state. And so basically what we're saying is King David's throne belongs to Jesus. Now why is that special? King David is a covenant bearer. God promised that his generations would last forever and rule all the world forever. There would never be a person not sitting on that throne. And basically, this is a messianic promise. Jesus is the messianic king. And so if that's true, another posture that we have to learn. Repeat after me. I will obey my king. He tells you to be holy like he is holy. Let's obey our king. He tells you to fight sin to the point of bleeding. Let us obey our king. He tells us to die to ourselves and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us die to ourselves and obey our king. He tells us to evangelize. Let us obey our king. Jesus coming as king has so many implications upon our life that we still haven't recognized. And we're like, okay, he's human, he's God, he's king, he's eternal, so what? And you still continue your posture. Where is the kneeling? Where is the allegiance to our king? It's not the content that's the issue, it's the posture. Jesus is also eternal. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. There was an end to all the kingdoms until now. Pax Romana, many people flocked to Rome to celebrate the peace of Rome for hundreds of years, yet it fell. And some people even said it was Christianity's fault. The American dream lasted for quite a while. People still hold on to it. Just like the gold rush started a flow, uh, influx, a lot of people trusted that America would be where their kingdom is. Recently, China, not too recent, it's a while ago, China, uh, in, according to various uh, indices, they became more powerful and more economic than America. And they're arguing Sinocentrism 2.0. Sinocentrism, that China is the center of everything. And people are flocking to that. They're like, oh, like Facebook and Instagram and all these companies need to invest in the Chinese market now. That kingdom will come to an end. That kingdom will come to an end. And of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. Why is this important? Uh, 
Guess what the common thing uh, underlying all these are? Water, gold, honey, graves. Sounds like a really <laughs> uh, bad joke or a very deep joke. <laughs> What's the common thing amongst all four? When times are bad, when inflation happens and uh, the, the dollar has no value whatsoever, like it's just trash, things that are consistent and eternal like honey and gold and water that don't decay and graves because people always die, those things become market indicators of stability. Those become the center of value. And here's what I'm saying. Our kingdom is coming to an end. The global world order, whatever it is, is coming to an end. Jesus is king. He will reign forever. Are you sure you have the right currency? Like, are you really living in the eternal kingdom or the fading kingdom that we're living in right now? Like, are your baskets diversifying your risk as if, okay, it's good to believe in God, but I also need to have, you know, portfolio here and then, you know, uh, make sure my family's well off and, and just need to diversify your risk to make sure you're happy. Like, are you living by the eternal kingdom? Posture, not content. Jesus' kingdom will not end. And that is our hope forever. Amen. So may you live like that. Live like that is the only kingdom that will forever be relevant. May you not owe your allegiance to a country or to a tribe or to an ethnicity or to a party, but owe your allegiance to Jesus. And finally, It says in verse 35, The Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child will be born, will be called holy. Holy. The Son of God. Holy. And I hope by now you know the different flavors of what it means to be holy. What is holiness? It is uniqueness and perfection and beauty combined into one. Uniqueness. Perfection, moral perfection, aesthetic perfection, everything perfected in one thing. That is holiness. And this Jesus alone is holy. Logic doesn't excite people anymore. Proving that the universe came from God doesn't excite people anymore. They still say, so what? And they're interested about what makes life beautiful. Why should I wake up this morning? Why should I celebrate with my friends today? What makes life special? Like, I want an adventure. And Jesus' holiness is actually what they're thirsting for, actually what they're aching for. When people watch pornography, they're looking for the beauty of God in a twisted place. When people look after success, and they see that as how uh, the indicator of how much they've grown, they are actually looking towards spiritual maturity in Christ. They are looking for holiness. You ache for holiness. You ache for perfection, not just a standard. You want to be with the beautiful one, the holy one. You want intimacy with him. That is what you want. And we have to re-enchant our world with the vision of God's, not just power, not just omniscience, like that's a Marvel superhero. 
You want them to be attracted to God's beauty in his perfect moral character. And that Jesus has come to us. Jesus has come to us as the Holy One. What does this mean? What does this mean? Whenever I talk about holiness, people's eyes glaze over. What does this mean? You can stop your search. Whatever you're doing, whatever addiction you have, you can stop it right now because the Holy One has come. And He will satisfy your aesthetic needs, your philosophical needs, your intellectual needs, your spiritual needs, your relationship needs. He is holy. Content, the posture. How should we receive Jesus? Me as a lowly sinner, a Nazarene. And this human God, King, eternal, holy one has come. How do I receive this? I, 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 can't, I can't say it to you. Uh, words don't give me enough power to say this to you. Uh, <laughs> I, looked, I looked everywhere. Uh, something to communicate this. I, I, found, I found a video of the Prince of Egypt. It's the best I can do. Uh, and one minute, 30 seconds, it shows without words what I want you to feel about Christmas. Let's watch. Turn up the volume. The music is really important. <laughs> and let's watch this. He was prostrate. He was on his knees. Tears at the joy. The word of God came to him in the bush. And he jumped out of that place like a madman. I don't know. It's not, it's not in Exodus. I wish, I wish we could have seen more elaboration on this. But he runs to his wife. And he's celebrating. He's using hand motions like, look, I took off my shoes. Like, I met the God. He told me to go back to Israel. He told me to go, go to Egypt and save the people. And I met this God. I didn't die. And he told me that he would use my lips. And he promised this and this and this. And there's joy, joy, joy. And we who have the incarnate word of God, who completed the mission, who died upon the cross, what should we look like? Like, you receive Jesus. The, the human, the king, the eternal one, the holy one, uh, he came to you. Like, don't you want to run home? And tell your family, tell your people, tell the people in your communities, tell your people in your workplace that he has come. And that's all the thing that you can think about. There's nothing else to do. Like that's the posture you're always thinking about. The God who came in the midst of this sleepy little town to a poor person like me. And there is nothing else. It just saturates my life. It eats up my life because he's, it's the only thing I could think about. I really, 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 really hope that you receive Christmas with the honor and beauty it deserves. Jesus has come. He will be your only hope in this life and the next. He will be eternal. His kingdom will not fall. He gives you a way of living and a certainty for this life. He can break your depression. He can heal you of your wounds. He can restore relationships by you dying to yourself. He is the king that we've been waiting for. Therefore, 
It's going to sound old, but Merry Christmas. The final posture that Mary, the same. Behold, I am your servant. May it be done. This is not Genesis 1, may it be. <laughs> That's not it. May it be done. As you have said, send your Savior. Amen? That is our posture for Christmas. Praise team, can you come up? We have two weeks left, and not to make a big deal out of the date, not to make a big deal out of this season. This must be your posture at all times. I hope when you open God's word, that you remember the prince of Egypt, <laughs> that you remember your posture, remember how special this is, and stake your life upon it. Let's pray. Father, you came into my sleepy little life. When I was 14, you, you convinced me somehow that you loved me and you died for me. And I've made a lot of mistakes after that, and yet somehow you restored me and made me a conveyor of the gospel. And Father, I know that that's the same story with so many people here, that you met them on one odd, random day. And it wasn't on Christmas. It was at some part where, of their lives where they needed a Savior, and you approached them as human, but as God, but as King, but as eternal, but also as holy and you captured their imagination. And Father, this is supposed to last forever. Father, I will not just think of the gospel as the starting point of my life. It will have daily relevance. And it will give me daily hope and daily joy and power all the days of my life. So Father, may the gospel ring truer and truer and truer in my ears every single day as we open the word of God. May our church love this gospel every day of their lives. May us not look for techniques of how to live this life or ways to feel better about myself, but once again dive into the richness of Christ, receive him with the posture that he is owed, and may glory be unto your name, peace upon the earth, goodwill to all men, because Christ has come exactly as you prophesied. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, you are amazing and awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to my sleepy little life. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.